welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. For newcomers to this program, it's a place that we bring together the world's leading experts to help you all with your mind, your body, your movement, your life. And uh, this is exactly what we have today. One of those experts, my new friend, Robert Ferguson. Uh, and this conversation, I mean, his expertise is jujitsu, nutrition, uh, I would say some degree of politics because he's in, been quite involved in it. Um, but this conversation specifically focuses around what the hell is going on in the world with uh, these movements that are happening, Black Lives Matter and uh, all the things, the, the protests and the riots and all the different layers of racial inequality and prejudice and um, just inequality in general. Uh, so that's what this is about and uh, I was really excited to get to share this conversation because uh, Robert is an African-American man. And um, so I was excited to get to uh, dig in and, and see what, what his experience has been growing up with that pigment of skin. Um, so we get into a lot with this. So hopefully it is not, well, it'll probably be sensitive to some people, some of the topics discussed. And uh, I, one of the things we got into after recording was uh, the, the value in creating a safe space, which is a, an annoying term, but I think it's, I think it's appropriate uh, for people to be able to communicate the way that they feel. And something that I have personally experienced in, uh, I think like the new buzzword is cancel culture. People don't like your belief systems. If you're not supporting enough or not supporting the right thing or not you know, you're silent since violence or you know whatever you there's so many ways for people to attack each other divisively during this this time it's, it's really interesting and i think it's what that has the potential to do is it has the potential to impede people from being able to speak the way that they are actually feeling and instead feeling because of, of, of fear of, of being cast out by the tribe. And, you know, so tribalism pops up in mysterious places. And I think that the, the foundation of all of this movement is, you know, I'm on board. But within anything, when there's large masses of people saying the same thing, I just tend to veer towards suspicion of um, are we asking all of the questions and, you know, are we approaching this in a wily driven mob mindset? Are we able to step back and critically think and create spaciousness? I think it's valuable for people to feel safe to be able to actually explore different parts of themselves and be able to speak openly, you know, and cherish each person's ideas and be able to hear them out. I'm trying to say, I think it's important that we still value each other, um, even if we don't necessarily agree with each other's political beliefs or religious beliefs or anything for that matter so that we can keep open dialogue and keep progress going forward. I think progress looks like many different things. And, you know, one of the things that I hear is you know, I, I tend to lean more towards the camp of like Martin Luther King. You know, and I think that by feeding violence into a system that inherently feeds on violence, such as our, our military um, or our police, our law and order system, um, that gives it a reason from my limited perspective on the world to bulk up, you know, so it's, it's like a, it's like a Hydra, you know, so you chop one of the heads off with your sword and then it goes back in, prints out a bunch of money, gets more weapons and comes back with, with several new heads. 
you know, so I don't, I don't personally feel intuitively that that is the best approach, you know, and so I lean more towards Martin Luther King type approach. And then the backlash with that or the rebuttal with that is, well, he was assassinated and, you know, his movement is like, he did so much, you know? So I think that an interesting thing that I was pondering on today is examining the progress that has been made, like slavery was a thing, and I think it was abolished in 1865, 13th Amendment, pretty sure, which then that gets into slippery stuff because one of the aspects of the 13th Amendment is that slavery can't exist unless it's for criminals, essentially. You know, so then we can just say, okay, well, well, now we just need to figure out how to paint people as criminals. You know, and so that gets into a whole other thing, which the, I think our criminal justice system needs serious work. You know, and it's it shouldn't be prisons shouldn't be for profit organizations, um, and they should be for rehabilitation. It should be a place that you go and you say, okay, something about this cultural mold, the model that you exist in, caused you to feel the need to do crime. You know, so every one of us would be a criminal if that was the only options that we were presented. So I personally have been wrapped up in the criminal justice system. I had multiple felonies. Uh, It was a cannabis thing. I had like the whole shackles and essentially like treated like Hannibal Lecter, got toted around in the, in the armored car. And, you know, I was in maximum security jail for eight days. And it was mostly a bunch of drug addicts. It was people that needed help. It was people that were hurting. You know, there's people that murdered people. It was like the whole gamut. But in large part, our criminal justice system is modern day slavery for people that are, you know, the have nots. They're the forgotten aspects of our culture. And once you're in there, it is very challenging, one, to feel like a human because the system is inherently dehumanizing. Um, And then two, beyond that, once you get out, if you get out, the recidivism rate in the United States is the largest in the world. It's the highest in the world. Um, Our prison population is, we heard, I heard in that 13th documentary that prison population is... 5%, the United States has 5% of the world's global population, and we have 25% of the prisoners. So I think that the U.S. prison system has something like 1.4, 1.5 billion people. So I believe, fact check all this please, um, that makes it the fifth largest city in the United States from what I saw on the internet. Uh, Regardless of the specific details, things need to change. You know, and that's, I think that's a, a really big deal that every person, no matter what the color of your skin is, can get behind. And um, there is a, there is a, a, absolutely a bias towards, towards black people. You know, so I think it's, these numbers aren't exactly correct, but I think in the, in the U.S. in 2019, there was like 479,000 black people and 430 no, it's 476,000 and 436,000 white people, um, which it seems like, oh, the numbers are pretty close, but there's a lot more white people in the United States. So it's actually still quite biased. You know, so is that just because all cops are bastards and they hate black people? I don't think so. I think there's something more systemic happening. And I think it needs, we need to be as a culture, as a government, looking at how do we support these people so that they don't feel the need for crime in the first place. And then how do we do deep restructuring of the criminal justice system um, and the police system and all of that to train 
compassion into people's minds. And, you know, I don't think we should be defunding police. I think we should be reallocating would be a better way, you know, and making being a cop a big deal. You know, you have so much freaking power as a cop, you know, so it should be like, you know, a four year, I don't know what, you know, it should be a real meaningful education and you get out of there and you're like a God dang Navy SEAL, you know, and I think that that would make sense, you know, maybe less police, but the ones that exist are more effective, perhaps could be a thing. I don't know. That's stuff that I just don't understand entirely yet, but I'm, I'm working to grasp my mind around it. But I think we also need to acknowledge that we're not experts just because we have a cell phone and we have an account on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. That doesn't just all of a sudden make you a sociologist or a social justice worker or an epidemiologist or a virologist. You know, so I think that people need to step the freak back and listen for a moment. You know, just because you didn't take immediate strong action on any, anything, any global event, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a racist. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're anything. It could mean that you're critically thinking and examining the situation to try to understand and, and return with a response that's actually thought out as opposed to being in an argument with somebody. Both of your eyes are red hot and you're freaking out. You know, maybe in that moment, the best decision is to step back and say, hey, you know what, let's take a walk. Um, and we'll come back to this after we both kind of have a moment to, to calm down so we don't say anything that we, that we regret. You know, and so I think it's, it's such a fascinating thing, this, this harking back to the, the cancel culture thing, how aggressive people have been, to me personally, um, but lots of other, other, other folks I've heard from all, all sorts of different people, um, how aggressive each other's peers have been with each other. Um, you know, this ideally, I would, I would hope it'd be, be, uh, the progress would be greater unity. You know, so I think people need to calm the freak down. You know, you're not an expert of a thing because you saw six Instagram posts and you watched one documentary, calm down, um, do real research, talk to real people, go out in the streets, communicate with people, um, vote. You know, how many people are, are huffing and puffing and posting memes and all that stuff, but they're not going to vote. I think it's time to start the podcast. Uh, so thank you for tuning in to the Align Podcast. Thanks for tuning into this conversation with my new homeboy, Robert Ferguson. He's rad. I'm very stoked that we get to share his perspective on what the freak is going on in the world. Obviously, this is going to be a sensitive conversation, so I apologize in advance if their feathers get ruffled by anything that I say. I am not perfect, and I don't think anybody is, and I am just trying to take all of this one step at a time. Each, each crisis, I'm trying to jam as much awareness about the crisis into my, my little brain as fast as I can, but uh, we're getting hit by a lot. You know, so I think it's valuable for all of us to, to cut each other some slack. Love somebody. Love somebody. All right, here we go. Back to the podcast. Bam. So we had scheduled this, you know, whatever we scheduled a month and a half ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the whole world is like going up in flames in the last week um, in in relation to the disparity between um, races, you know, and, and inequality. Um, so I, I wonder from your perception, 
just how this whole week has hit you like how is how is things does it feel like it's forward progress do you feel like like where are you at with everything i'm at a place where there's so much confusion yeah um and disruption that's got momentum Mm -hmm. that i'm taking some steps back and watching and see what happens so as everybody's rushing to church and (laughs) and hey i can protest without walking out there and and i get it but i'm just gonna sit back and you know my my post the other day on facebook was if if this COVID thing is as bad as they've been saying it is Hmm. we're gonna find out in about 10 days yeah right we'll see because maybe it's not yeah then that that brings up a whole bunch of other questions yeah so I'm just sitting back and just watching, being safe, taking care of my two daughters, and um, contributing back the best way I possibly can with the, with what I do. Hmm. So your concern is more about the health, a la viruses, than the progression towards greater equality? Do you feel like that's that they outweigh each other somehow? No, I believe that, which is interesting because, you know, you, you go on TV and you share what you really feel. You know, like Terry Crews makes a comment and they just attack him. Yeah. So people are waiting. The mayor of Minneapolis thinks he's going to go there and be the guy. And they just crazy. they just made him walk away, man. Crazy. That was that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm not one of those guys that really is going to hold his tongue. So I believe that there's there's a lot of work to still be done based on police, you know, brutality, excessive force. It's been that way forever. They've been talking about this for a long time. Um, but I also am a, I'm a for, as a former Marine, I have a code that I respect whoever's in office. Hmm. And a lot of people will never get that because they don't have that same code. So I could go on and acknowledge, say, President Trump and say something positive about him. And no former Marine is going to give me hell. Now, if he was kicked out, bad, you know, conduct or, you know, didn't make it through boot camp. Yeah, those guys. And they tell people they're a former Marine. But you're not going to see someone that's a real former Marine that's going to, like, look for every possible reason to publicly speak negative about the chain of command. But what point does a person draw that line? You know, what point does something turn into, oh, my God, this is, you know, Hitler is manifesting. I'm not saying Trump or anything, but at what point do you say, like, I'm beginning to need to think for myself because it feels like something is awry with, with the leadership above? Like, oh, yeah, there... the leadership is horrible. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. so, I mean. So what point do you disregard that? Well, I grew up going to church, and I learned early on to focus more on the message than the man or the woman. Mm -hmm. I really don't need to know like what they do in their private life. But if the message is helping me and nurturing me, I'm all in it. Mm. So I don't follow Trump on Twitter. I don't follow all these crazy people. I look at, you know, what's really taking place. And if he's corrupt, then okay, you got to make some moves and and get that person out of, uh, out of there. Yeah. Um, What do you think of his move? The, publicity stunt to go out with the bible and tear gas and rubber bullet the the peaceful protesters well you know what i there don't was think a guy that dropped out after that one of, one yeah of the... but see i don't think trump woke up going i'm gonna grab a bible hey let's do a photo op i know there's teams yeah. you know being in hollywood working with celebrities professional athletes uh, being in the military doing presidential security at one point for ronald reagan Dude, i yeah. know that there is 
a whole bunch of people saying, this is what we're doing at 5 05 p.m. You're going to grab the Bible and walk out. And we need you to be in place at 5 09. Yeah. And you do it. And I'm sure there's some screaming in the room. What if Trump gets in the room and goes, what the fuck, you guys? I can't believe you had me do that. And now the country's giving me a hard time. Yeah. What if they did? What if that happened? And then he didn't throw them under the bus. Hmm. Possibility. So, so to those people, he's a great leader. Yeah. We fucked Trump up and he didn't even throw us under the bus. He just sucked it up and took it like a man. Mm. Right. It's a possibility. <laughs> Who knows? So you were you were presidential security for Reagan. Yeah, so when I was uh when I first went to the Marine You've Corps, lived a life. It's been interesting. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I wish I wish we could t- turn that life into some money. Maybe when I die it'll be in the memoir. <laughs> you know, there's definitely some stories. But yeah, his last year in office, I came out the I got stationed at Point Magoo and we had a one of my collateral duties was that. And so we used to fly him on Marine uh, One from, you know, Point Magoo to his ranch. So I got to do the 11 trips by helicopter and one by convoy. Hmm. Great guy. You know, I grew up around Democrats, right? So my mom, my family, everybody's Democrat. And here I am, this young kid, 18, turning 19. I don't want to do presidential security. I want to be out running with the Marines. I want to be in the field. I want to be out there. I'm with all these old guys and... I think it was an accident, and I got there based on what they said. And next thing you know, I'm doing this, and I just thought he was one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. Mm. I would say Ronald Reagan, Clint Eastwood, and um, what's his name? Uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton had a very um, unique aura, just like those guys, like very uh, yeah, infectious. Like I feel like a lot of people miss Bill. Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about him as a person to have any opinion, but from the outside, he seemed like oh, he was he was Casanova. He was Casanova. Yeah. <laughs> so the two times I was around him, I saw him focus on charming the ladies. Right. I bet. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, man, look at this guy. He's doing it. <laughs> he goes out. So I saw it up close. So what do you think about the whole Nixon and then Reagan administration war on drugs and locking people up and law and order and all that stuff? You know. I believe that people do what they think is best at that moment. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like if you look at the NFL. You know, they give, you know, the guy a hard time about taking a knee. They say it's not needed. Next thing you know, he's no longer playing. And then they come out now because of all of this and they apologize. Hmm. That's progress. That's progress. Yeah. But yet, everybody beat the guy up. Like he comes out and says, "Hey, yeah, we made a mistake." And then social media, "Yeah, you're an asshole. What's wrong?" You know, it's like, "Wow." Sometimes you just got to be quiet until people can just calm down. But I don't see them calming down. Not during this current administration. Hmm. I don't. I don't see that. Why don't you see that? Because I I usually go on Facebook and you can see what's going on. Yeah. Someone says if Trump and I've had and I got a lot of my buddies that are like they hate this guy. Right. And so I don't hate anybody. But if I said, hey, guess what Trump did? They go, oh, shit. What is he going to say now? I go, well, who was the first black heavyweight champion, boxing champion in the world? You know, John. Yeah. Jack Johnson. I didn't know that. So Jack Johnson, first black heavyweight champion in the world. He ends up, you know, meeting this this white lady back in the day, and he drives her across state line, I believe it was Ohio, and that was illegal. 
So he gets stripped of his title, and they put him in prison. Hmm. Years go by. Trump hears about it, brings in Lennox Lewis, other boxers, brings in you know living family members, Jack Johnson, apologizes to him, and pardons the guy. I think that's cool. Yeah, that's all right. But I tell my friends that. Their response is, fuck Trump. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's the interesting thing is you get. Oh, like, man. When all the riots stuff broke out, I was in central Oregon and I was just working on raking up leaves and planting trees and I was totally detached. I wasn't watching the news. And all of a sudden there was all this pressure to immediately form an opinion, you know, and get behind. And if you, you know, silence is violence and all of this stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what's happening in the world. You know, so for me to just immediately form an opinion and have take a stance felt very um, uncomfortable, you know, and it's interesting. It feels like people kind of once they form the opinion and then, and then the nature of technology and social media and Google and all that is, is it places us inside of our own echo chambers, you know, and then you search for a thing and you get more results from that. And then that's like your whole entire world is painted in this one specific way. And then someone says a thing about Trump or, you know, whatever goes against your belief system. And it just, it feels like it's threatening that, that belief system. And you defend, it's a strange time. Oh, it's very strange. <laughs> yeah, and that's no, why, you know time, what? It's a strange time to think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, my recommendation is I tell people just think inside and just watch, hmm. you know, just just watch and do right by people. Don't cause harm. And uh, let's see where it takes us. Yeah. Have you do you feel personally in your life that you've experienced much racial inequality? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What is that yeah. like? What is, what's, what's that been like? <laughs> um. Well, I don't know. I think when you grow up and it's just part of what you're, you're experiential, I mean, it, it just is what it is. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you don't, I think it's the people who never experienced it and then they experience it and they go, shit, you know, can throw them off. But when you're used to it, you know, um, then you just, you just live life and just go with it. Mm. I mean, it sucks, but what are you going to do? Yeah. What are instances or like for someone that's coming from, yeah, I don't know what that is. I mean, I, I lived in play, I lived in Hawaii for a while where I was a kind of minority, but you know, I don't know what it's, what it's like well, in the United States. Well, if I told you about my nutrition plan yeah, and all the, and how effective it is, you would, you may say, why don't more people know that? So I've been hearing that for a really long time mm. and I know that. I really believe this. If I was blonde, blue eyes, you mean you think you know Dr. Oz is popular? Yeah. There's no way I wouldn't be like a household name. Hmm. Like no way. And I don't think it's the people. I just think it's the people who are in positions of decision. Yeah. That have blocked the opportunities for me. You know, like there's the gentleman who fought for me. To do the work with Gateway, African American, yeah, um, education, uh, law, knows the program, you know, and we still had to work. I still had to go there and win people over, yeah, and get them to unfold their arms, and finally you get to this place, and I think it's just a matter of time. So I still am very hopeful, but I do believe that things would have worked out a little faster if I looked a little different. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that even like with this podcast, like m certainly the the majority of the people that have been on here are, are white men. 
Um, and that's not out of specific choice by any means. In fact, I, you know, I, I'm actually excited when someone is of some other color or a woman or anything. Cause I was like, Oh, like I, I want diversity. I want different perspectives, but it seems like there's never been a time that I've looked at somebody for their, their color or sex that I've been like, Oh, we can't. It's always been about like, what's, you know, what are they actually doing? Right. But I feel like the majority of what I see from people projecting themselves into my reality is you know, white men. Like the voices are the loudest. And so I wonder how does, is just combating against the police? Is that a solution? Is there something that's more systemic? You know, is it education? Is it like, how do we as a culture raise minority slash low income people up? Well, I, I believe that there's a lot of progress taking place that people aren't acknowledging. Hmm. And if you acknowledge it right now publicly at this moment, they'll give you a hell of a hard time. So, for instance, <laughs> yeah. when I look at, like, I'm big on history. <clears throat> and I believe that when you understand history, it opens your eyes to understand so many more things. And um, when I look at the riots in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s with the protests, the people walking in the street look totally different. When I look all over this country and abroad, I'm seeing a lot of Caucasians. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's a whole different animal, and you're seeing a lot of millennials. They got a different strut, a whole different walk. Yeah, things are thing. I I believe we've made a lot of progress as far as all of that, and I think it's great timing that we're at a place now where we look at how police officers are excessive. And it's unfortunate that everyone is thinking it's a black and white thing. Right. But just like the other day, what, there was a, a guy got beat up or these kids got pulled out of a car. Six officers, five of the officers were black. Yeah. So it's a police officer. I get it. You know, being a former Marine and this military police work, when you walk up to that car, man, you want to go home. Hmm. And I think we need to just kind of go back and, and not, what do they call it, like refund or they want to... Defund. Defund. Yeah. I'm like, no, you want to reform. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? But if I go and say that right now, people go, what? The f you know, yeah. <laughs> I would get beat up. Yeah. How can you say reform? We need to like, get, I'm like, okay, so we get rid of the police. Then what? Yeah. Who's going to, who's going to protect all of us? Yeah. How we're going to keep some type of order in the community. So for me, I'm just looking at it all. I believe there's a lot of positives taking place. I think it's a great opportunity for the likes of like a Al Sharpton, who is, you know, out there in front, been there for many years. But the millennials don't want to hear from Al Sharpton. Hmm. You know, when stuff was going down in Ferguson and Missouri and all that, Jesse Jackson, these guys from who've been doing it forever, they showed up. The young kids are like, who's that? And then they started talking. They don't want to hear them. Yeah. But right now, everybody's listening to each other. I think only positive can come out of that. Listening to each other or, um, I mean, I think there is still, for me personally, there feels like there is divisiveness that oh, exists totally. in it. You know, and so that's what, like, in from my platform, um, you know, I've been more coming from where you're at, where it's like, I don't think that silence is violence at the moment i think that i'm 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 trying to understand you know i'm trying to listen and i'm trying to talk to various different people and i'm trying to you know read the books and then watch the documentaries and like actually formulate something because this isn't a topic that i've intensively dug into 
you know, and so now I'm really grateful for the moment to actually have a reason to intensively dig into it, you know, but it's, it's very interesting how like, it feels like culturally we have so much pent up energy, you know, because of the reaction to coronavirus, you know, it's like you've that been locked played in your a role, house, yeah. you know, so you, now you have people that have been locked up essentially for the last three months that can't work. A lot of people probably can't feed their family, domestic violence, all that stuff. It's like a tinderbox. Right. And then it's just, you know, here we are and people are taking them. I don't think, I don't know that I agree that silence is violence in this, in this situation. I understand that, but I feel like more critical questions could be asked. And, uh, I mean, I don't even necessarily know what they are, you know, but I'm trying, I like, I'm really intentionally trying to understand like, what is the best approach to get into the, the root of the issue as opposed to maybe just attacking police, for example, you know, and maybe, and maybe police purely are the root. I don't, I, I mean, that doesn't feel right to me, but. Well, in the, in, when I was in the Marine Corps, when I went to boot camp, yeah. drill instructors were still cursing at you, hmm. using foul language, um, hitting you, like beating you up a little bit. Yeah. Then they made some changes. So as a, as a old school guy, an OG, when I go down to MCRD in San Diego and I see the Marines walking around and they're being yelled at, but there's no curse words. Cause they changed, they re they reframed how the drill instructors are taught and how they communicate. Yeah. They still are getting the same outcomes. They just, you know, made some changes in the policies and how these instructors are trained. I believe a lot of what I would love to see come out of this is, the training improved that gives officers compassion and really teach them about empathy so that that's always with them. They're thinking about how that person is feeling yeah. when they pull them over. Yeah. I don't think cops are thinking like that. Right. Not all, but I don't think most, they just walk up, they, they, they don't really give a shit, a lot of them. But if they were to be thinking like that, man, that would change everything. Instead of making me, you know, fucking nervous to, you know, Take my hands down. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I have yeah. to go, hey, um, my wallet is in my pocket. Can I please put my hand in my pocket? Crazy. Like, we're going through all of that. You don't just go, oh, yeah. No, no. So, I can tell you that my whole life has been that way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't play that game when I get pulled over by a cop. <laughs> I'm like, I don't play that game at all. What you about know? from Black Cop? Um... Don't feel the same. Mm. Yeah. What's the sensation of a black cop comes up? Um, I just broke the law, and or he feels I broke the law, and he's going to talk to me about it. But there wouldn't be the same level of no. sphincter clench. And there's always that first three to five seconds. Because when you do get pulled over, which I got pulled over about a month ago. It was in my car. Cop saw me holding my phone. And he, he turned around. Came, pulled me over, and I had that feeling. I saw him getting out of the car, and I was going, shit, you know. And then he came up, and he was so nice. Um, communicated to me like a, like an equal and ended up not giving me the ticket. But if he had, I would have been okay with that. Um, but the way he came across, he had that compassion and empathy. Hmm. He was thinking about what how I was feeling. And maybe it was because, I don't know, his upbringing, who knows. But I know that I didn't, 
I had no concern after the first five seconds of talking to him. So I wonder right now if you, especially as a white person, were to promote that story, you know, oh. you'd get a lot of, okay, you're I would be unfriended. You're a racist, you're a white supremacist, you're canceled, like, we don't talk about that. Yeah. And that's the, that's the part where I'm like, this feels divisive. Like, I, that's the part where I, I'm kind of like, I, I log out a little bit, because I'm like, first, there are beautiful people, you know, and compassionate people of, of all races, um, and there is mental illness in all races. Um, you know, and I wonder if it's almost like, I mean, this might be a, a terrible analogy, but like training a dog, you know, the way to uh, train a dog isn't to abuse the dog. You know, it's like when the dog does something good, you're like, oh, like, you know, you, you applaud it. Right. You know, so I wonder if perhaps there could be some degree of that in this movement of, you know, pointing out the positives, you know, and, and encouraging the, the man, <laughs> encouraging the police. Now, remember what I said about the, remember <laughs> right. what I said about Donald Trump, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. You know, and, and, and the flip side of that is if you look at Obama... When he was in, if I said anything negative about Obama, yeah. I would be attacked. Sure. So it's just these people are just they're just radical. They're fucking foaming at the mouth. They're all like tense. I mean, it's it's mind blowing. So I just sit back and I go, you know what? <clears throat> it's not that I'm being silent. I'm being smart. Hmm. And I do make a part of my living based on social media and how people perceive you. Yeah. And so I have to put a lot of thought into what I'm going to share. Yep. Um, like the other day, one of my dear friends, uh, she's a big wig in a multi-level marketing company. Hmm. And I saw her going live. It was kind of late at night. I had just taken my kids back to their mom. And so I was like, what's, what's going on? Let me see what she's talking about. And she was talking about love and inclusion. Oh boy. And about 10 minutes into it, she says, and you know, I love everybody. She white, this is a white person. This is a white person. Oh boy. And she goes, and yeah, I voted for Trump. And then she went on and made a point. She goes, I'll probably lose friends. And I, when she said that, I was like, this is going to be interesting. So then I wanted to actually watch it from yeah. the perspective, like a, from a psychological perspective. Yep. Right after that, the company that she was doing work for, the CEO of that company, I know very well, and hates Trump. So before I could talk to her when it was over, and then I talked to her, they suspended her. They told her she can't go on. They gave her all these rules. And that's so sad. Damn. So she she loses money. She may totally lose that. And she's at the, at the highest level. So the money is, is nice. But they pulled that because she went on Facebook and talked about love and inclusion. Whoa. And mentioned that she voted for Trump. Wow. That's how tense it is. Yeah. Like, I'm grateful for the pendulum swinging, and I think naturally that's what happens. It goes to one side, and then it goes to the other side. Right. It goes to one side. It seems like, okay, right now it's it's on a side, you know, and it's a strange time, mm -hmm. and, like, there's going to be, you know, you crack eggs to make an omelet or whatever, and I think that that's an example of some, some of that. Uh, it's radical, man. Did you see what happened to the CEO of CrossFit? Oh, I heard that. CrossFit is canceled. I didn't know why. Boom. I just saw people posting I that. read it. I was like, okay, let me read it again. I'm trying to figure out why people lost it. They had to read it again. Oh, no. <laughs> what did he do? I didn't even know. There's too he much. He made a comment tracking. about Floyd 19. Uh-huh. He goes, like, like, this is more like a Floyd 19 or something like that instead of a COVID 19 because everything went from COVID to, to Floyd. In a 
a day. Boom. So that was basically the gist of what he was saying. Yeah. Oh. Canceled. <laughs> so, for so, yeah, you can say what you want to say, but I would have told him, I said, dude, keep that to yourself right now. Well, it's, it's I mean, it's a similar thing in if you are in a you know, some form of marital relationship, you know, and it's just fuming. You know, and I feel like culturally we're in, feels like we're going through stages of some sort. I, I looked into the, the Kubler-Ross model of grief, you know, and so in that model, it's not a perfect overlay, but I think something like that is happening where there's, you know, there, there's stages to what's happening to the culture. You know, so in the Kubler-Ross model of grief, somebody passes and the first thing is uh, denial and then you go into anger, which I would say we're in anger phase right now. Um, and then it goes into, but what does it go? I think it goes into dialogue, um, and then it goes into depression, and then it goes into acceptance. And it's an interesting thing to, to witness culture, from my perception, it seems very much like we're in an anger phase. Whatever model overlay you want to put over it, like it seems like anger is, is where we're at. Mm -hmm. And then it's an interesting time to um, critically think, because when you're in that dispute with your partner, it's like, are we? maybe we need to take a walk. <laughs> no, like maybe now's not the time for me to be trying to have a solution. Like maybe we just need to like let's let's calm a little bit and and be able to communicate and get to this point where we can actually have dialogue. And uh, I don't really have a point other than we'll put this. Deepak was talking about what he shared that those steps this morning. And, uh, the Kubler-Ross thing? Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah, he, oh, was, on, he was on the talk this morning oh, and cool. actually was walking through it. And, I, and, and while I was watching it, I was going, the thing that he's not touching on is the most important part of it and the thing that is not happening with people. And that is getting to the place where you can move into acceptance. Yeah, right. How do we do that? That's the part that ain't going to happen. Hmm. Because my buddies would have to accept what Trump did good for Jack Johnson. Hmm. And they don't understand that acceptance doesn't mean that you like or condone it. It just means you accept the reality of what it is. Yeah. They don't want to move into acceptance. And you can't move into forgiveness without acceptance. Well, it feels like it's kind of like with the slavery conversation. You know, slavery, was it 142 years ago slavery was a thing here? Oh, it obviously still exists in other places around the world. Well, Did I make that number up? When, when was the last of, of that in the United States? Uh, 17, well, when it was abolished, 1863, something like that, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah, so it's, I mean, it's part of our history. You know, it's like oh, a yeah. couple of lifetimes. You know, it's like your your grandparents, you know, if, they, if, it's, if they're old, um, you know, or great-grandparents, rather. And that's not going to just get undone. Like, that's in the fabric. It's in the quilt. You know, and so I think coming to a place of, accepting that and being able to move forward. But the thing that I'm, I'm curious about is going beyond just the police. I wonder if perhaps the police are a symptom of something bigger, you know, and, and like the criminal justice system as a whole, the judicial system and, you know, prison systems being a for-profit organization. Um, I don't think that all of them are that way, but uh, in large part, like having criminals is a, that's a, a moneymaker, you know, and it's, they, they become, um, products in a way, mm -hmm. you know, so I wonder if, if there's something beyond shitting on the police, if there's something actually even deeper, more systemic to look at. And I wonder if, if, if that's at least in part the, the, the criminal justice system as a whole. 
I believe in capitalism, mm. right? And so if there's prisons, then jobs are going to be created, opportunities are going to be there. Same as with the COVID. A lot of people became millionaires because of this whole coronavirus. Sure. Yeah, of course. I know a couple of guys that jumped into the whole mass business, and they were legit, and they're they were borrowing like money from me like three months ago, well. and now they both have seven figures. Hmm. You know, one just bought a brand new Lamborghini. So I, I'm always like, so that's always going to be what it's going to be, yeah. and you're going to have people different beliefs. I just don't believe that you're going to have people move into a place where they could have real dialogue because their dialogue is when you must be in agreement with what I believe yeah, and what I think. And we don't have a leader in place that can rally everybody no, uh, and get everybody to like have a conversation, you know, and if, you know, and it's not like I'm pro Trump, but I just sit back and I just watch, I go, this guy comes out and makes a comment about, how I stopped everything as far as you know people flying in from China. I made some moves that no one was in agreement with. Later to find out those were great smart moves that he made. But no one's gonna no one's gonna go, Good job, Trump. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's just not gonna it's not gonna happen. So he's gonna be defensive when he's up there. And he's gonna have a problem like rallying the people who don't like him. So how could he actually you know what I mean? Like what's the likelihood of him getting people to be okay and then if biden becomes a president how is he going to win over the others it's like man we're in a horrible situation right now hmm. so i wonder you when you were what was your role with protecting the president what are you what are you i just was a guy that you know you stood by the marine the and salute them yeah got them on sit down and you know i did have a 45 on me yeah and that was it and what was your mindset at that time were you you were 100% gung-ho, pro-country, oh, yeah. pro-president, pro-all yep. that stuff? I mean, I'm still gung-ho. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still good. Yeah, yeah. You and know? then growing up, did you always have that same perspective? Um, No. I mean, the Marine Corps, like, it just opened my eyes to a whole bunch of things. It, it became the father that I probably never had. Hmm. Um, But I'm that guy when I watch, you know, 13 Hours. You ever watch that movie? Mm-mm. Never watched Thirteen Hours about Benghazi. I gotta watch it. Oh, I'll watch it tonight. Oh man, it's on the list. See, I like, watched thir- the Thirteenth last night. I'll watch Thirteen Hours tonight. Okay, yeah, Thirteen Hours is you know <laughs> what went down over there. Um, man, like I'm I I'm into that or Twelve Strong. Um, I'm into you know the guy's his arm is hanging off, but yet he's rushing back up to the top to keep you know to cover his buddies. Yeah, like like I'm that guy. So I'm not, I'm not, when I see people just lack loyalty and just, you know, let anything bother them, I just go, yeah, I, I can't, I can't deal with those kind of people. What do you think the difference between people from that perspective that you cultivated somehow versus people that are complete, like, fuck the system? What do you think the difference between those people are? A lack of respect mm. and appreciation, mm. you know, um, Everything doesn't go as smooth as we would like it to, but you know, you just adapt. It's the same as growing up and just being in a situation where, okay, I know I was treated um, inappropriately by, you know, a, 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 a person of who's Caucasian, and it was based on race, but I don't hold it. You know, it's like when I was in when I was in the Marine Corps. At one point, my best friend. His dad was 
Actually, my best friend at, at one point was from Pennsylvania. Mm. And his father was still the head of the KKK in the area where he was from. And so how we became friends, I was teaching martial arts on the base. He had signed up for martial arts. Didn't know. We didn't know each other at the time. Walks in to find out that his martial art instructor was a black guy. So in his mind, fuck, I got to get out of this, right? (laughs) So he goes to try to get his money back. And then they say, no, you got three months. So he came in and did it for three months because he didn't want to lose the money. He just, you know, kept the distance, dealt with me the way he probably dealt with other people. Yeah. And this guy later became my best friend. Uh. And we cool. were able to be best friends because he still hung on to a lot of his beliefs. Um, and I had my beliefs, but because I was his instructor, there was an opportunity for me to win him over and for him to see black people in a different light. And and it just it cultivated, mm. and we were friends and hung out. We would walk, and he would have moments and almost forget that I was black because he would see some black guys standing outside, and he would hey let's go across. I go why? He goes you know there's black guys over there. I go dude look at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I I notice one of the the outcomes of all of this is I notice myself being more racist just in the literal sense of the word like noticing race is so before i didn't i you know the black guys whatever i wouldn't have taken notice to that you know i mean i'm not like obviously i have perception of different people if someone drives a certain car or wears certain clothes or has a watch or has you know i'm paying attention to all of that that would be silly if you don't think that you do that um but it wasn't a thing that i was consciously thinking about and now with this, which I think it's a healthy thing, but I, I walk out the door and all I see is race, which is a, it's a strange thing to, to get to observe that within myself, you know, because it was just literally just a few days ago. I never would have noticed it. Now it's like, it's just this, this focal point where I'm like, it's just in my face, which I think it, it's healthy because it, it causes growth, that, that observation. I think it's, I think that's very healthy because... <clears throat> Now you will find yourself in a meeting or a gathering with some guys. Yeah. And maybe one guy will make a comment. Yeah. And maybe in the past you were quiet or like, that guy's a dick. I'm not going to say anything. And now I think more people will be like, dude, what did you just say? Hmm. Well, you know, fucking niggers. Da, da, da. Dude, we don't, we're not okay with that. Hmm. And I believe if people in private start to do that more, yeah, then that's where change is going to happen. Yeah. What do you think about healthcare for for low-income households and minority groups and people in, in general, but I wonder how much of, of the crime that exists is a sensation of not being taken care of. Before Obama came out with Obamacare, yeah, uh, the Affordable Care Act, people said that things were horrible and that under-resourced people that didn't have money couldn't get health care. I've never seen that. That's a total lie. Hmm. Because... If you if your wrist is coming off and you're a homeless guy, they're going to take you in. They're going to help you. Hmm. So people have access. Hmm. And all I know is that when Obamacare came into place, I had to spend way more money and got less for what I was paying for. Yeah. So I wasn't a fan of of that shift. So I think it goes back to Education is the king for all of this. Yeah. 
is to you know like in my space when we're, whenever I'm asked a question like so Robert like why do you think or feel that we can't reverse childhood obesity and my answer is the uninformed are influenced or led by the misinformed so who to believe who's accurate and one day we demonize McDonald's but then that's where people go and and play with their kids because yeah. in Mississippi it's fucking hot outside and there's not a lot of parks but I can take my kid to McDonald's it ain't even about the ice cream or the fries it's air conditioned they can go jump in the balls and have a good time yeah but no one's thinking like that you know and most people they're just too quick to like demonize it and then I'll come out and say well McDonald's out of all the restaurants sells more apples than any restaurant in the world hmm. they have uh, they only serve organic um, salad dressing uh, Newman's own they did a deal with Newman same as they did with Coke years ago so but the people who don't go into McDonald's have no idea mm. you know what I mean that's but, interesting and then you have like someone who uses propaganda like Super Size Me comes out with this documentary and everyone just believes it to be real and it was totally fake and people are like well and they don't even want to hear about what's real so, you know, years ago, and it kind of goes to like, a, you asked a question we were talking earlier, and I was thinking about it. One of my buddies told me, he says, he goes, I went to him, I said, hey, man, if you really like my program, let's make it available to your mom. I'll give you one for free. He goes, ah, she don't want that. I said, I thought you told me your mom's overweight. You want to see her get healthier? He goes, yeah, I would love to see her lose the weight and get healthier. I said, but I'm, I'm willing to give you my program for your mom for free. He goes, no, my mom is more interested in buying a lie than buying the truth. Mm. Now, yeah. if, if you got a lie to sell her, I'll sell that to her all day. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and since that time, I swear to you, man, no matter what corporate room I'm in, that is that is so the truth. People are more interested in a lie than they are the truth. Mm. They don't want to know that Trump did that for Jack Johnson. As long as the lie fits their their, their exactly model, their mold. Yeah. It's an there's a, a book by a guy called Paul Arden. It's uh, whatever you think, think the opposite. You ever heard of that guy? I got, no. it, I got it sitting up in here, and it's it's. I think that I mean you can just just the title of the book is enough. And I think that that examining critically examining whatever the the present narrative with the greatest momentum, I think it's it behooves a person to uh, at least take the time to look at the other angles that aren't presently illuminated. You know, and it seems like. It seems like that's something that now more than ever is a really dangerous time because of, of cancel culture. You know, so if you even ask critical questions, it's like there's this this fear. And I mean, I mean, I wonder if perhaps it's just time that a person no. needs to wait or is it? Well, you know, I actually just sitting here as you were saying that I was like, I think I know how we could fix things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Finally. <laughs> Yeah, I have an idea. <laughs> so so this is what, I, if it was up to me, this is what I would do. Yeah. President Obama is a master orator. He, yep. he can speak. Mm -hmm. He can move people. If somehow he and Trump came together mm. yeah, and gave Obama the platform, kind of like what Como was doing in New York, like not every day, but let's say that Obama sat down for two hours. And just, just talked and maybe brought some people on, not celebrities, but people on Zoom or whatever, have a couple questions. Yep. And Obama 
he can move people to be better um, on both sides of the aisle. I think if Obama got more involved, it would it would be great because he has this. Like you know who Jay Shetty is? Yeah, yeah, I know. Jay. Okay, so yeah. so I met Jay Shetty about I don't know like a year and a half ago. I really like like him a lot. He's a, he's a good dude, and uh, I didn't know who he was until I was going to meet him. Uh, and one of my marketer friends who lives right around here set it up, and so I go meet him, and I was like, "Dude, how how is that working for? How did you do what you're doing?" I said, you got more followers and likes and engagement than Tony Robbins. And he says, yeah, they're all starting to come to me for help. And I go, okay, so what's the secret? He says, when Tony Robbins speaks, he speaks down to you. Yeah. He points. He's taller. He's on the stage. Yeah. In he, his defense, he's huge. Yeah, he's a big <laughs> dude. <laughs> and, you know, he'll come on the floor, but he still has that old school yeah. energy of talking down, whereas like Jay, he said his whole thing has been, I'm gonna get on the same plane, and I'm gonna share with you, and not tell you. Mm. And he says it may be simple how I'm saying it, but that really is the difference. Mm. And then you warm people up, and you kind of you share the story in a way that it's not telling, it's not making them feel bad. You're just sharing it in a way that gives them to feel like, oh, that was cool. Yeah. And I believe we're missing that because Trump is that. He's on the podium. He's like he's almost like he's talking down to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And oh. those days are over, man. Millennials are not feeling that. Well, it's, it's, it's a strange. <laughs> it's a strange thing. I feel like perhaps because of being indoctrinated in that type of culture, and that you know that that is, I think, is an old approach. But nonetheless, I think that people feel especially anybody with any degree of a, a platform or like a, a voice that, 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 that moves, you know, beyond just talking at your house. Um, I think people feel this strange necessity to have answers, you know, and so you just drum some shit up. You're like, right. all right, I got answers. You know, it's like it's six hours later, like, here it is. I'm like, that, I think having that, feeling that pressure to just drum a response up because it's like your moral obligation um, I think that that's, it's like cacophony. It's like chaos, you know, and then the momentum goes in whatever direction it goes and the influences happen. It's just, I mean, I'm kind of talking in circles a little bit. I just think it's a, it, getting the culture to a point where we can really have open dialogue and discuss things that maybe like, oh, that might be a wild idea. Like Trump suggesting we ingest Lysol, you know, it's like, was that was that terrible? Like, I don't think so. I think that was something that, you know, if, if you and I were doing some, we're painting the house, we're hanging out, talking and like, you know, and you know, I suggest like, you know, it's, it seems like disinfecting like kills it. Like I want do you think you could like put it in your body? Right. You'd be like, you'd be like, no dummy. Like right. that doesn't make any sense. I'd be like, Oh shit. You're right. That really doesn't make sense. You know, but then with Trump and the position he's in, it's like, this is, that is the solution, you know, and I have the answer. I have this. It's like, it's confusing when we have when we can't just have that open dialogue and be willing to say stupid things. Right. Well, people put you've heard people say he needs to be more presidential. Mm. Even Biden says that. Yeah. And in my mind, I go, what are you talking about? Like, what is that? That means you want to keep every like Biden is saying the same thing that Trump is saying, like make America great again. So then the argument is like, when was it ever great? Mm. What error? Because they're looking for you to say 1957, it was great. Yeah, that was Then it. they're going to go, yeah, but you know what happened then, <laughs> right? Right. No, you cannot win. 
And it's the same thing that's going on, you know, in this situation. It's like, it's not just about like make America great again. It's like, what is presidential? Is presidential Bill Clinton? Hmm. Is presidential Theodore Rose? I mean, so I'll go back to them when they do that to to me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a hard time, yeah, and ask you questions. We're gonna take a Socratic approach to this, and then let's just see where it goes. I can avoid the argument, but I can put you in a position where you have to explain. Kind of like a, like a Dave to me that's a Dave Chappelle approach. It's great, and and look what he what happened to him when he came out with that last when he talked about LGBTQ. I mean, he came out. It was funny, and I thought it was it was tasteful. It wasn't like a negative. Yeah. But some people in that world were really offended. You know, same as you know you can you can find a reason to be mad at anything. I wonder how long it'll take to joke about racism again after this. Think it's gonna be immediate? Oh yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think humor and comedy, it's like yeah. one of the, the best ways, the most effective ways to communicate um, deeply energized ideas, deeply like if, if there's things that's going to trigger people, I think that comedy is one of the, the, the most effective ways to be able to start to flush that out. You know, because it's, if you can get people laughing, then then you can start to actually invoke and kind of dig into parts of yourself that maybe you never would have uncovered previously. Right. So like, I think the sooner that people can joke about this, the but, better. But do you, have you been watching how the whole comedy world has been? Yeah. Right. In the exactly. last couple of years, you know, uh, they went after, you know, Hart. He made a comment, what, in 2009? Yeah, exactly. And they're like looking for it. Yeah. They're looking for a reason to cancel people. Yeah. Those people are the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of them. And that's why, like, so, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a lack of religion. Maybe it's a lack of, I don't know, under understanding on so many levels. Um, I know, like, with my daughters, they're young. They're 10 and, and almost 13. Mm-hmm. And so there's a series on Netflix called uh, 13 Reasons Why. Have you seen that? No, I haven't oh, seen you it. That's good. You don't watch it a lot. Get, I gotta get on it. So thirteen. I didn't even know the riots happened till like four days after. Three days. Oh, good. Three and a half days. Well, that, at least you're you're productive. I was, <laughs> I was off. <laughs> but if you watch that series, it's all about suicide. Oh, wow. And so it's a young lady who she documents thirteen episodes. There's thirteen stories that she shares, which are the thirteen reasons why I took my life. Wow. And they just went into season four. It's a little inappropriate. There's some scenes, but I feel like inappropriate doesn't count when I'm with my daughters and we talk about it afterward. Like, there's no, I can't imagine them committing suicide after us going through the series. Yeah. And they have total compassion and empathy for everybody. Um, my kids totally understand. They have friends who are part of the LGBTQ plus community already, which is, to me, is awesome. And we have open conversation about it. But I don't know what everybody else is doing with their kids. Yeah. You know, and they understand that, you know, I do believe in God. And so that's a part of their upbringing. And and all things will work out for what it's going to be. So for me, it's been great uh, as far as spending time in the house, having the riots. I get to talk to my kids. How when I was five, I remember marching, um, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. And I was like five or six years old. And Jesse Jackson was in our hometown. Small town, Anderson, Indiana. Big protest. I remember just marching for hours and just being behind him. He was really, he's like 6'4". So when I was five or six, yeah. that was a giant. Yeah. 
And then I just remember that. And fast forward 47 years later, we're still doing it. And they were doing it before me. It's just going to take a different form. Uh, And I think it's great that we can protest. I think it's awesome. You know, I have a celebrity friend right now who um, she's on a TV show, uh, which I'm not even going to mention because you don't watch much TV. (laughs) Maybe I need to start. Maybe it's time. I get back. And I've never even seen her show, but it's a a pretty cool show. It's called Vanderpump Rules. (laughs) And she is a sweetheart. She's a really, really nice lady. Her husband's a great guy. And we've been talking through Messenger. And this has opened her eyes and caused her, like you said, to go watch some documentaries, to become more informed. Then she made a comment about wanting to, like, use her platform to share change and 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 to be a part of the solution. And she made a somehow in our conversation, she talked about, you know, possibly getting with like a rapper or someone who like understands that. And I go, well, my other clients got named Chuck D of Public Enemy. Who, you know, fight the power. Yeah. And so I go, why don't I connect you and Chuck? And it'll it will get major attention. And that's what's gonna happen. Cool. You know what I mean? So maybe my whole role in this whole thing is connecting those two. Yeah. So they can use their platform together to show unity, to show how we can make this work. Yeah. The young being educated by the more mature. And uh, just makes for a better world that we can all live in. And also, yeah, I think that's important to not necessarily feel like you need to fit the same shoe as every other person. And like you are not enough or you are complicit or you are this or you are that because you're not doing the thing that the crowd is doing. There's a lot of different ways to be a part of a, of a grander movement. You know, it's in something like that, you know, that could be an unspoken behind the scenes thing that could have greater impact than yeah who knows who knows man yeah um just being open i think every we all just stay open to it again i think the biggest challenge is getting people to find a place of compassion and empathy i believe that that's missing yeah i wonder what suffering what the 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 root of suffering or the roots of suffering is in our culture because if you look at suicides for example you know middle-aged white men are by far the highest incidence of suicide you know and so presently it's it's all about the the suffering that's happening in the black community which i'm really grateful that that's happening i think it's it's really important um and then suffering i don't think is just purely color-based i don't think it just falls into one one bucket like it really is distributed throughout and i know and it's it's interesting to think like the main oppressor the man is the one that's choosing to end its life with the highest volume. That being said, there's more white people in the United States than black people. Yeah, well, do you ever watch a movie back in the day called Glory? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so who's the guy, Ferris Bueller? Who who played that? That was uh, Matthew, uh, no, not, the guy who played Ferris Ferris Bueller. (laughs) uh, He's married to Jess, the blonde that was on uh, Sex in the City. Anyway, if you watch that movie, it was about the Civil War. Mm. And Denzel Washington's in it, Samuel Jackson. Um, and it's all about coming together and they go to war. And so this Matthew, I believe is his first name, the, the captain, he's journaling every night. And so he's journaling one night and all of the officers who have money, who have families, all Caucasian, they're all in their individual tents by themselves. 
going to bed early, not talking, mm. quiet. Then on the flip side, the poor, defeated, don't got much, never really had much ever, uh, slaves turn soldiers, they're down on the other one all together, singing songs, sharing stories, yeah. laughing. Because when you brought up suicide, go, yes, they don't have money. Yes, they may be in poverty, but they're happy, man. Yeah, it almost forces them to find, you have find peace. joy and peace in something other than your your new Tesla. Right. So if you think of the people like um, a Denzel Washington or the D.L. Hughley's of the world and the LeBron James, they were broke. Yeah. But they didn't know they were broke until they got older because they had so much love and peace and fun and serenity. I mean, their homes were more of a sanctuary, even though they didn't know how they were going to eat. Yeah. I, I grew up like that, too. Hmm. So you have that kind of love. And then when you grow up, you know, a lot of that is still with you. But then you look at the hate and the rage that's taking place right now just because of the political division. It's, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, kind of like wealth skips a generation type idea. You know, it's interesting that you think that by having a cushy kind of nerf insulated bumper car life. They're like, well, everything's just laid out for you. It actually is for for many people is a really sincere handicap. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's interesting. Like the 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 kind of the competition isn't the right word, but you know the disparity between different people and the the standard normative belief is that if you have more, then you're in a better position. But then oftentimes that more can actually be the destruct the destruction of you. Right. It's very fascinating. Well, the world's paradoxical. <laughs> so, 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 I, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And, and, and it leads somewhere. So, you know how you hear people categorize foods as healthy and that's unhealthy? Mm-hmm. Who decides what's healthy or not? Mm, oftentimes, pretty unhealthy people. Yeah. But if I went on TV and I said, I'm going to have salmon. Wild salmon, asparagus, organically grown, and that's a healthy meal. Mm. I have vegan friends that'll go, no, it's not. Yeah. I have carnivore friends that would say, no, it's not too. Exactly. Get them greens out of there. So, but who's right? And that's nobody and everybody at the same time. Right. And so that dilemma there is the same in so many different aspects of our lives. And that's why we have such a hard time creating real change right because when i went to missouri to do my first study in under-resourced communities they had dietitians that worked for aetna you know and then i'm bringing my thing in but they wanted them to be part of it which is fine and they were pushing salmon and asparagus and i go guys i never even saw salmon until i was 22 when i first saw asparagus in my 20s, I thought they were little trees. And I was wondering, do we eat these or just, is this what they call garnish? Yep. And you want to take that way of eating, that's your way of eating, right? to that house that they only have top ramen. How's that going to work? And then if you make them feel bad about the top ramen, yep. you create more. You, you create more yep. instead of showing them how to eat the top ramen in the healthiest way. Yep. And that's like a whole new way of looking at life and all the people in the room with masters and PhDs are all looking at me like, wow, that's so prof- that's profound. Yeah. Are you kidding me? 
And then you show those people how to do it, and meeting them where they are, they get amazing health results. Yep. Well, that went against everything that the people in the hierarchy said was possible. Yeah, and it becomes unitive. I disrupt it. Yeah. And if you disrupt, you get pushback. Yeah. And you're starting to see that from the flip side throughout this whole, like, you know, uh, protesting. It's the same. It's just coming from the, it's coming from a different angle. It's all the same. It's people don't want to be in agreement. Hmm. Well, people don't want their, their dogma or their, their belief structure to be rattled. Right. They do not like that disruption. They don't like that. It's kind of like, like the best example of that was when Kanye says, make America great again. Yeah. What? Right. The black people <laughs> lost their mind. Everyone in the black in the black community were like, "What? You don't publicly do that." Yeah. And then you get a educated, you know, or at least very well spoken woman like Candace Owens that starts talking. Mm. I mean, she can talk, and she has some real good data. I mean, you have to have like someone there to be, you know, fact checking her big time because she's so well spoken. Yeah. That you need someone like an Obama who's going to give a different perspective, who's also well-spoken, to be on the stage at the same time without insulting each other. Right. Man, wouldn't that be great? Mm. Because what do you think is going to happen when Obama, uh, not Obama, but when Trump and Biden do their first, like, debate? Trump's probably going to smash him. We're going to go back to protests. Yeah. People are going to start losing it again. Yeah. And if, and if Trump wins, oh, they're going to... They're going to they're, they're just lose it. They're going to totally lose it. Yeah. And we're going to have this again. And then COVID's going to come back. And it's like, oh, my God. How do we get out of it? That's the, that's the challenge right now. So what's the, we're going to close out. What's like your, their, how do you want to close things? <laughs> we had a closing point. I was like, let's see. I was like, boom, like drop the mic. We're done. And I'm like, well, now we're at a negative note. <laughs> well, no, I mean, look, my thing to your audience, and I appreciate you giving me a chance to, to meet you. And yeah, of course, this has really man. been I extremely cool. Yeah. Um, I'm promoting empathy and compassion, man. Yeah. Be open to their way of looking at things. Hmm. Give people a chance to share their story and listen to them. May be right, may be wrong, I'm, but at least listen to them and let's just be respectful. Yeah. Um, and if everyone did that, I believe we could put things in a place where everyone will be, we'll have more people willing to like say something in private when that cop or that person uh, is doing something unjust. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'm really grateful to get to have this conversation with you. Hey, I never thought I would be interviewed in a, in a situation sauna. like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I thought it. I experienced it I, all. I like it. Uh, Typically, there's a cold plunge, as, as I mentioned, which is there's no water in it right now. So, all right, well, so good. You, well, miss, you dodge the No, plunge. hey, if you have me back in the future, I will yeah, come. We'll for, I'll have shorts. Sure ready I'll be ready. Yeah. Uh, where should people go from here? What's where's what's the what's the move? Uh, well, they can find more about me at uh, if they if they go on the websites, uh, it's dietfreelife.com. Cool. And in the social media world, like Instagram, it's Robert Ferguson official. Cool. Yeah, you're one of the most diverse, eclectic human beings that I've come across. I didn't realize, and I'm sure there's so many different layers to you that I haven't 
got well, th- done covered. Well, thank you. Well, with a little bit, I'm just like, really? well, we we do really? have a common friend. Really? We yeah. both know Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. What's up, Chuck? Chuck What's up, Chuck Liddell, Mr. baby? Mr. Chuck, yeah. I'm telling you, I remember when Chuck had a beat up Ford truck. He was bartending, <laughs> had no money. I'll never forget us all eating burritos and just like hoping one day. And if I remember Chuck got paid like fifteen hundred dollars once to fight, and we were like, dude. They're gonna give you. Are you serious? Fifteen hundred? Yeah. Because a lot of the fights were like three hundred, fifty dollars, sure. and then boom, look what happened. Life takes strange turns. Hey man, <laughs> strange turn. You just you, you never you never know. Look at Dana White. He used to teach aerobic kickboxing. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, look at him now. Damn. He used to carry he used to carry Floyd Mayweather's bags, which is so funny because they never talk about it. Yeah. But he was like a groupie. He was around. He was fascinated with the whole industry. And Dana, you know, I, kudos. To, I mean, I take my hat off to the guy because he like he saw it. He believed in it. He stayed the course. It's consistency. Oh man, he just. I mean, what those guys did with the UFC, I'm forever just impressed, yeah. and and it inspires me to not give up on the dreams I have. Yeah. Cool, man. Do you do handshakes during COVID times or oh. fist bumps or whatever? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you know what? You know how everybody's saying, like, as they, they say, they go, Robert, what do you think? Like, the guy said, I've been watching a lot of TV and watching these guys in these protests. Yeah. They're side by side, hip to hip, sure. hugging, laughing all day long. We'll see what happens. And I'm like, in 10 days, we'll know. We'll know. So I'm not concerned hanging out with a guy in a sauna. Good. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in and uh, yeah, over now. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation with my man Robert. Uh, If you enjoyed that, I highly recommend you share aspects of the conversation. Uh, You can share on Instagram, be a great place. You can tag me at Align Podcast or you can tag Robert Ferguson. He is, uh, I believe he's Robert Ferguson official. Uh, so I hope you guys loved it. Thanks for views. Thanks for sharing it. Thanks for your support in uh, rebalancing the world. Thanks for giving a damn. Um, I think we can all agree that racial inequality and prejudice of any sort is not helping anything. Um, and uh, I think that our criminal justice system really could use a, a deep restructuring to focus on rehabilitation. And um, I think focusing on helping people in not just minority groups, but low-income groups in general, low-income neighborhoods and communities, um, bringing health care, bringing education, giving people, not giving a people a reason to commit crime in the first place, uh, and then also a deep restructuring of the enforcers, you know, so the police and military and all that, training compassion into that, making it be a big deal to be a cop. I think that's that's important. Cops work for us. You know, we pay their bills. And I think everybody, including us, them, maybe there is no us and them. There's no sides. We're all in this thing together. Um, we really, I think it is helpful to see the, you know, try to see yourselves in each other's positions. You know, we're all the same person living each other's lives from from different bodies from different perspectives and for the most part if you live the life of somebody else you'd be doing exactly what they're doing right now you know, so is it possible to to add a dash of compassion into your day-to-day thanks for grabbing the online program thanks for 
loving your life. Thanks for supporting mine. I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing and uh, hope you guys are good. See you next week.